Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from the Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. John the Baptist was sort of an ancient Jewish circus act. He just appeared one day out in the wilderness of Judea shouting, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John wore ragged clothing made of camel's hair and he ate a strange gluten-free diet of locusts and wild honey. And he didn't drink any wine. So John did not hang out with all the other boys at the 
local watering hole telling jokes and reminiscing about the good old days. Instead, he kept telling everyone that the old days were over and they better get their act together because the Messiah was on his way and things were about to heat up. John was your typical fire and brimstone, turn or burn sort of preacher. Very intense and very big on judgment. He kept calling the people to confess their sins and get right with God. And people came from far and wide to hear John's judgment and to receive his baptism of repentance. Now, to, to repent, if you recall, means to turn around, to change directions, to stop where you're going, and to start off on a new path. And so John's baptism was really all about second chances, a way for the people to, to wash themselves clean of the mess they had made of their lives, to, to climb out of the, the sin-filled hole that they had dug themselves into and try to do better. And we like that message. It has always appealed to something heroic within us because we love to think that if we just try hard enough, we can get life right. And yet, despite all of our good intentions and our best efforts, we simply cannot seem to make our lives right. We just keep messing up and needing to repent again and again and again, or at least I do. No matter how many nights I go to bed, kicking myself for how badly I blew it that day as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. It's only a matter of time before I'm right back there at the Jordan River welcoming John's, ju John's judgment, ready to be cleaned off so I can try once again to get it right. Does anybody else here know what I'm talking about? The reason for this, of course, is that we all have a problem, and it's called sin. According to the biblical drama, ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God and reached beyond their created limits in order to eat of the tree of knowledge so that they could become like God, humanity has been lost under the power of sin, which invades all of our lives and indeed our entire world. There is no part of us that is unaffected by it. Sin is like an invasive species in our lives. Once it gets a foothold, it begins to take over, destroying our relationships and our well-being and all the good things that God intends for us. And we are powerless to overcome the sin in our lives on our own. This, of course, is an offense to our liberal, postmodern, humanistic, cultural mindset, where there are no absolute truths, where everything is relative, and where we believe that human progress ought to be able to overcome anything. And yet, 
Despite all of our efforts, we simply have not found a way to overcome sin by our hard work. And so we've simply decided to write it off as an outdated concept. As Will Willimon has written, for some time now, many people have gotten the impression that sin is an unduly judgmental term which has no place within an I'm okay, you're okay progressive worldview. What was once called sin has now been dismissed as alternate lifestyle, social maladjustment, failure to live up to one's full human potential, or behavior which is the result of inadequate education. The ultimate authority of all human behavior, which we once called God, has now been reduced in the minds of many to a kindly, all-affirming, all-accepting, indulgent therapist who blesses everything and damns nothing. If sin no longer really exists, it's no longer a problem. Of course, our inability to admit that we actually have a problem may be our biggest problem. In the words of C.S. Lewis, the chief evidence that we are indeed miserable offenders is that we miserably fail to admit that we are miserable offenders. And yet if we take an honest look at our lives and at our world, even just at the House of Representatives, can we not see that something is amiss? That things are not the way they ought to be? Can we not see that humanity is lost? I mean, even just in recent years, we've, we've seen gun violence take the lives of so many innocent children, innocent black men, innocent police officers, innocent Christians doing a Bible study or having a fellowship dinner, and so many others. Heck, just on Friday, we saw a first grade teacher shot in her own classroom by one of her six-year-old students. Americans are overdosing on drugs and drinking themselves to death at record rates. Mental illness and suicides are at an all-time high as people struggle to live in a fallen world that is not what God intended it to be. War and oppression and hatred continue to reign across our world. In the words of Hamlet, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. There is an insidious power at work in our world, preventing us from experiencing God's goodwill for our lives. Of course, many of us love to think that it's, it's everyone else who has this problem with sin, not us, right? It's the, it's the Russians, or the Muslims, or the government or the oil companies, or Wall Street, or the capitalists, or the socialists, or the, the rich, or the poor, or the pro-lifers, or the pro-choicers, or the mentally ill, or the person sitting next to us in the pews, but we're really not so bad. 
I mean, that's precisely what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were thinking when they came to check out John the Baptist at the Jordan River. But, you know, he had some pretty harsh things to say to them. In fact, he called them a brood of vipers. Not exactly PC. For you see, until we learn to tell the truth about our sin, we will never be able to deal with it. This is one of the reasons that we continue to say a prayer of confession every week in worship, which may be the most countercultural thing we do. This is something that Alcoholics Anonymous has always understood so well. First, we have to admit we have a problem, that something has taken over our lives and steered it in the wrong direction. But then, we also need to admit that we are powerless to fix it on our own. That we need help. That we need a savior. So one day, as John the Baptist is there at the Jordan River, preaching about the kingdom of heaven and baptizing the crowds, Jesus comes along and shows up at the banks of the river. John quickly notices, however, that there was no flamethrower in Jesus' hands ready to torch the sinful crowd. Instead, Jesus says that he's there to join the crowd in the water and be baptized, which confuses John to no end. I mean, after all, he knows full well that Jesus has no need of repentance, no need to get himself right with God, no need to be cleansed of his sin. I mean, he was the Messiah who was supposed to bring God's fiery judgment on sin. So John tries to set Jesus straight, arguing that it was he who needed to be baptized by John. Jesus, however, wins this argument, as is his nature. And he says that they need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. All of our righteousness. For you see, human beings are never made right by climbing up to God but by the God who humbly came climbing down to us. But even John did not fully understand the surprising lengths to which God would go to find and rescue his lost children. You know, whenever there has been a boating accident on the ocean or, or someone is otherwise lost at sea, the Coast Guard will often send a helicopter out on a rescue operation. When they find the person in the water struggling to stay afloat, notice they don't just throw down a rope or a, a flotation device to the person and tell them to grab on and pull themselves to safety. After all, by the time help arrives, the victim is usually terrified and exhausted, completely unable to save themselves. So instead, a diver 
will leave the safety of the helicopter and go down into the water with them. Then the rescuer will grab hold of them and pull them onto a raft and then help bring them up out of the water to safety. You've probably seen this happen many times on TV. Well, when the Son of God became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, he left the safety of the Father's house in order to come down to earth and become human like us. And in his baptism, the incarnation was made complete as Jesus became one with sinful humanity in our alienation from God. Jesus went down in the water to find us where we were struggling in our sin, drowning in our futile attempts to save ourselves. And he grabbed hold of us and raised us up out of the water to new life. And eventually Jesus would take all of our sin onto himself and carry it all the way to the cross so that sin's power of us over us might be defeated once and for all, completing his baptism, which began in the Jordan. And when Jesus came up out of those waters of baptism, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, transforming John's baptism from a human act of repentance into a divine sacrament of grace. And then a voice from heaven declared, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. But notice, we do not hear those words until Jesus has fully identified with the human condition in baptism, becoming one with us in our lostness so that we might be saved. Only then does the Father tear open the curtains of heaven and declare to the world that Jesus is the beloved Son because God was just so overjoyed that in Jesus Christ, his lost children had finally been found. And Jesus' identification with us is so total, so complete, that you just have to hear the Father saying those words about you as well. You are the beloved of God with whom he is well pleased. For when we are baptized, what is true of Christ becomes true of us. We too receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We too are made heirs of God's kingdom, joint heirs with Christ. And we too are made righteous. Not because we've tried so hard to get our lives right, but because Jesus has taken on our broken humanity in his baptism and given us 
his identity as the righteous beloved of God. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. No longer enslaved by the power of sin, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, free to live in joyful obedience as the beloved children of God, knowing that the one who came to judge us was also the one who came to save us. And then after Jesus' baptism, that same spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days so that he might be tempted by Satan to sin in all the same ways that we are. And yet, despite his exhaustion and his great hunger, Jesus remained faithful to his Father's will and to the rescue mission on which he had been sent. And he did it by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture and by remembering those words spoken to him at his baptism, reminding him that he was his father's beloved. It was the only way that he was able to resist the temptation to sin so that he might complete his mission to save us. And counter to what our culture wants us to believe, as Christians, we are called to take sin seriously. And after all, God took it seriously enough to send his own son down to deal with it at the cost of his own life. But until we learn to tell the truth about our sin, we will never be free from its power in our lives and able to experience the abundant life that God intends for us. But in your baptism, you have already received everything that you need to do so. The Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that was in Jesus, has been given to you if you would but surrender yourself to His power. And you have been declared the beloved child of God with whom he is so well pleased. You are beloved. I mean, isn't that what we're all dying to know in the end? That we are loved and accepted through and through despite all of our shortcomings and our mistakes and our failures? I mean, one of our greatest fears in life is that if people really knew us deep down, that they would not accept us or, or even like us. But hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you are accepted and you are loved. Unconditionally, 
and irrevocably. And that is what makes your life right. And if you really believe that, not even Satan himself could lead you astray. Amen.